The drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. No-cost gen ed provided by Strayer University affiliates of Field Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people, and welcome to the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise, your co-host. And we want to welcome you to this third episode of the History Goes Bump podcast, The Poe Show. But before we get into that, we'd like to invite you to become a part of the Spooktacular crew and make sure you check out our website for everything History Goes Bump at historygoesbump.com. If you want to send us feedback, suggest future topics, or maybe you want to share your real ghost story with us, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. This moment in oddity history. The Female Stranger Grave There is a grave in St. Paul Episcopal Church's Cemetery in Alexandria, Virginia, with an inscription on the gravestone that reads, To the memory of a female stranger, whose mortal suffering terminated on the 14th day of October, 1816, aged 23 years and 8 months. This stone is erected by her disconsolate husband in whose arms she sighed out her last breath, and who under God did his utmost to soothe the cold, dull hour of death. How loved, how honored, once avails the knot, to whom related or by whom begot, a heap of dust remains of thee, tis all thou art, and all the proud shall be. And then Acts 10.43 To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. The grave is considered a historical mystery and an oddity. Legend weaves a tale about a woman who died in 1816 at Gatsby's Tavern in Room 8. 200 years has helped this tale twist and turn, and there are many theories about who the woman was, who her husband was, and how she died. 
the one clear fact is that the woman was ill and died young. Was she Theodosia Burr Alston, wife of Governor Alston, or was she a young foreign woman who died in her lover's arms? Why was there a need to conceal her identity? Is this why she purportedly haunts room 8 at the Gatsby Tavern? Does she wave from the window to the long-lost love we know nothing about? We will more than likely never know the truth. But the fact that someone would go to the effort to lay an elaborate gravestone with an elegant poem and not name the occupant certainly is odd. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. This Day in History Edgar Allan Poe dies on this day, October 7th, in 1849. This show is dedicated to his memory. You know, Denise, when it comes to Edgar Allan Poe, I think everybody knows the name, but they may not necessarily know the man. So I'd like to ask you, since you're somebody who hasn't been a fan of him necessarily to the degree that I have been, what are your thoughts about him? What do you know about him? Mostly I just knew some of the writings that he had done. And just when I know that you'd read several of his things on your old your old show that you used to do. But other than that, besides being one of the classic writers, I didn't know a whole lot about him. I you know, I knew there was mystery around his death and some things and that he was a great literary talent of, of his time, but I still wasn't real familiar with him. Well one of the things that we strive to do on this show is to do our research and get as accurate a picture as we can, whether it's a particular location, a person, maybe an event that happened in history. And one thing people need to keep in mind when it comes to Edgar Allan Poe is that after his death, his obituary and the subsequent memoir written about him were written by a man who didn't like Edgar Allan Poe. These men didn't like each other, period. Edgar Allan Poe was a literary critic for most of his life, and he wasn't very nice about critiquing other writers. As a matter of fact, he accused Longfellow of plagiarism. So when you've heard about Edgar Allan Poe, you may think, you know, this guy was a drug-addled, womanizing alcoholic who was a little crazy. But the truth about Edgar Allan Poe is quite different than that. Some of it's true, but a lot of it isn't. So imagine if you had an enemy and you died, and that person was allowed to write your history. Do you think it would be real accurate? Probably not. So come along with us, and let us tell you a little bit about Edgar Allan Poe. So starting out, Edgar Allan Poe's life is a study in tragedy. Perhaps that is why his writings seem to carry a melancholy theme throughout. Poe was born in the city of Boston on January 19, 1809, to parents that he would never really know, because his mother died when he was just three years of age, and his father had already abandoned their family. John and Frances Allen took Poe in as their own and raised him. The Allen family was very well off, and Poe was sent to the finest schools, and he did very well academically. But there was something broken deep inside him that he attempted to fix via a myriad of vices. One of those vices was gambling, and the debts that he owed piled up, causing a rift between himself and his foster father, John, when John would not loan Poe the money. The debts forced Poe to leave school in 1826. The relationship between John and Poe would never recover. 
Poe was written out of Alan's will and left in poverty. During this time, Poe had become engaged to a young woman named Elmira Royster. When Poe left school and returned to the Allens, he found out his fiancée, Elmira, had become engaged to another and Poe was left brokenhearted. He decided to join the army in 1827 and also published his first book of poetry that year, Tamerlane and Other Poems. The next year came a second book of poetry, but Poe's writing was receiving no attention. He decided to go to West Point and entered in 1830. Poe wasn't much of a soldier, and he was kicked out of West Point after only a year. But Poe was a writer at heart, and he latched onto prose. He could write anything, and he did. While most people know him for his macabre horror and his mystery genre works, Poe wrote romantic poems, black comedy like his story Loss of Breath, tall tales like his story The Angel of the Odd, and even science fiction like his work Malonta Tata. He started to make a name for himself as a literary critic and began selling pieces of his original writings to magazines and newspapers. He would come to be known as the father of the detective story, and there is no doubt that he was the best short story writer of all time. In those early writing years, Poe found love again in a highly controversial way. He had moved in with his Aunt Maria Clem in Baltimore and fell in love with her 13-year-old daughter, Virginia, who, yes, was also Poe's cousin. Virginia and Poe married when she was 14 and moved to Richmond, Virginia, where Poe became the literary editor for the Southern Literary Messenger. Poe had also embraced another vice and became an alcoholic. He battled depression through his most prolific writing years as well, and the death of Virginia from tuberculosis just 11 years after their marriage did not help. It was in 1845, two years before Virginia's death, that Poe wrote the piece that would make him an international sensation, The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak of December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow, from the book's surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here for evermore, and the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain, thrilled me, filled me with the fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now to still the beating of my heart I stood repeating, tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this is it and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, I said, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you, here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood wandering, fearing, doubting, dreaming, dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before, but the silence was unbroken, and the darkness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word Lenore, merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, I said, surely that is something at my window's lattice, let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. 
Let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of Paulus just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance at war, through my crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on this night's plutonian shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above its chamber door, bird or beast above the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour, nothing further than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is only stock and store, cut from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his song one burden bore till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore, of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling all my sad soul into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy, thinking, what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt and ominous bird of yore, met in croaking, never more. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing. To the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core, this and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamp-light gloated o'er, but whose velvet-violet lining with the lamp-light gloating o'er, she shall pass, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from unseen censer, swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor, Wretch, I cried, thou God hath lent thee, by these angels he has sent thee, respite, respite, and nepenthe, from thy memories of Lenore, quaff, O oh, quaff, this kind of nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, think of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent, or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if when the distance aiden, it shall clasp this sainted maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, Clasped a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be the word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting, 
Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie that so has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out of my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him steaming throws a shadow on the floor. And my soul, from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor, shall be lifted, nevermore. The Raven was reprinted 19 times in Poe's lifetime. So what is your favorite Edgar Allan Poe piece? Perhaps it was The Pit and the Pendulum, or maybe The Murders in the Rue Morgue, or The Mask of Red Death, or The Cask of Amontillado. Can you imagine being buried alive behind a brick wall? Or perhaps even the fall of the House of Usher. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. For me, it was a story that captured my attention when my fifth grade teacher read it aloud to the class, The Telltale Heart. I will never forget the day I heard that story. My fifth grade teacher was a huge science fiction fan, and I believe he did this over, you know, in October when we were getting ready to have Halloween, and it could have even been on Halloween that he read it to us. And even though when you're in the fifth grade, you don't completely understand everything about that story. I just loved the way it was written and the madness that you could hear growing inside the young man who was telling the story. I was hooked on Poe from that very moment. True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken, and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. 
I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night about midnight I turned the latch of his door and opened it. Oh, so gently. And then, when I'd made an opening sufficient for my head, I first put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, so that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see the old man as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night, just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into his chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers of my sagacity, I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph to think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and the old man not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps the old man heard me, for I moved in the bed suddenly as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no! His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, for the shutters were closed fastened through fear of robbers, and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept on pushing it, steadily, steadily. I had got my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang in the bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For another hour I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime I did not hear the old man lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed listening, just as I've done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently I heard a slight groan, and I knew that it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief, oh no! It was the low stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it was welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been growing ever since upon him. He had been trying to fancy them costless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It's nothing but the wind in the chimney. It's only a mouse crossing the floor. Or it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain. All in vain. Because death, in approaching the old man, had stalked with his black shadow before him, and the shadow had now reached and enveloped the victim, and it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel although he neither saw nor heard me, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I'd waited a long time very patiently without hearing the old man lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length, a single dim ray like the thread of the spider shot from out the crevice, 
and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue, with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. And now have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Now I say there came to my ears a lull, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now that at the dead hour of the night and amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable wrath, yet for some minutes longer I refrained and kept still. But the beating grew louder, louder! I thought the heart must burst, and now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then sat upon the bed and smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the walls. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. The old man was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot, whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. Ha ha. When I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man I mentioned was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasure, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. 
They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. Yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair upon which I had sat and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. I grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror, this I thought and this I think. But anything better than this agony, anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now again, hark, louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the deed, tear up the planks, here, here is the beating of his hideous heart. And that beautiful piece of music you heard playing in the background of my reading of The Telltale Heart is A Broom with a View by Kristen Lawrence. You can check out more of her tunes and more information on her at her website, HalloweenCarols.com. That's HalloweenCarols, C-A-R-O-L-S.com. She's got her music up on iTunes as well as other various places. 165 years ago today, Edgar Allan Poe died. He was only 40 years old, and the circumstances of his death seemed to be the final mystery he wrote. He was traveling from Richmond to Philadelphia and stopped in Baltimore for a couple days. He was found on the street in a critical state on October 3rd and rushed to Washington College Hospital, where he died four days later, crying out, Lord, help my poor soul, before he passed. Doctors claimed that congestion of the brain killed Poe, a diagnosis no one can understand in our modern terms. Did this mean he had cholera or an alcoholic wet brain? There are claims that he had acquired rabies from somewhere or that he had syphilis. Was it something more mundane like heart disease? The fact that he was traveling and a sick man would generally not start a trip when sick and the fact that he was delirious when found seems to indicate something peculiar had happened. The mystery deepens with the fact that when Poe was found, he was not wearing clothes that belonged to him. Was he beaten and mugged? Was he cooped, a practice in which men were stuffed into a box like a chicken coop and beaten and then forced to drink alcohol, dressed in clothes that were not their own, and taken to polling places to vote for a certain candidate? He was incoherent the entire time he was in the hospital and so unable to explain what had happened to him, but he called out Reynolds several times. The attending doctor, Dr. John J. Moran, did not help the situation as he began to embellish his tales of the death of Poe. So we will never really know what caused Poe to succumb to the thing he wrote most about, death. Edgar Allan Poe lived in several homes during his lifetime, and many survive to this day. His cottage in New York is in the Bronx and known as the Edgar Allan Poe Cottage. 
The last home he rented in Philadelphia is preserved by the National Park Service and known as the Edgar Allan Poe National Historic Site. The oldest home in Richmond, Virginia, serves as the Poe Museum there, although Poe never lived in the building. Baltimore is home to the Edgar Allan Poe House and Museum, and Poe is buried in Baltimore at the Westminster Burial Ground. His original grave was moved in 1875 to a memorial near the front of the cemetery. A mysterious admirer paid homage to Poe at his grave every year on the writer's birthday from 1949 to 2009. The admirer would leave three red roses and a bottle of cognac. No one knows who the admirer was, and only once was he caught in a grainy picture wearing a black fedora and a long coat. And if you check out the show notes for today, we do have the picture of that mysterious stranger in the show notes. It seems only fitting that Edgar Allan Poe would still walk the earth as a ghost. The Poe Museum in Richmond reports hauntings, but mostly of a woman named Gertrude and never of Poe. Typical ghostly activities are footsteps, the noise of slamming doors, even though many of the doors have been removed, and voices cut on EVP. The same is true of the Poe Museum in Baltimore, which seems to have several spirits haunting it, but not Poe's spirit either. One of the spirits seems to be a residual haunting by a woman. Paranormal investigators and employees of the museum report icy cold spots even in the heat of summer, disembodied voices and windows and doors opening and closing on their own. As for Poe, he is reported to haunt the Westminster Burial Ground and is seen sometimes in the catacombs under the church. What happened is that a Presbyterian church was built over the area where the Westminster Burial Ground was. And so some of the coffins needed a new location and there was a catacomb built underneath the church in order to put the different coffins down there. So as you can imagine, a lot of people were left at unrest. The horse she rode in on bar was established in 1775 in Fells Point, and Poe used to drink there frequently. A ghost at the bar has been nicknamed Edgar, and he reportedly is a poltergeist opening and closing the cash register, swinging the chandelier, and pulling out bar stools of patrons, particularly if they state that Poe does not haunt the establishment. His ghost has also been spotted roaming the halls of the hospital where he died, and the streets of Baltimore play host to the spirit of Poe as well. His tortured life seems to continue on even after death. So, are the museums haunted? Does Poe still walk the earth? That is for you to decide. So, what an amazing life indeed, Denise. Amazing and tortured. It's just, you know, learning more about Edgar Allan Poe, I just, my heart breaks on what a tortured soul he was, and yet such an incredible talent. And he has inspired other writers, other poets, artists, you name it, he's been the inspiration for a lot of stuff. And I think he probably had no idea that that would be the case when he was still alive. As a matter of fact, he barely made any money when he was a writer. Today, he would be a very rich man, obviously. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show today. We want to thank all you guys for joining us. Thank you all for coming, and we look forward to seeing you next time. And on our next show, we're going to be featuring the Molly Brown House and Molly Brown herself. We'll be joined by Colorado historian Annette Student, so we hope you guys can join us then. As for us, we just hope you take care. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.